0: same passage that we looked at last week, and um, I don't know how many of you this image uh, might be anxiety-producing or or stress-producing, but I I suppose I learned more uh, about patience and uh, keeping anger under control in cincinnati traffic than anywhere else you only think driving in oklahoma city is bad Uh, i don't think i've been anywhere in oklahoma city traffic uh that was as bad as driving in cincinnati traffic now maybe i just haven't been to the right places at the right times i suppose that's possible um but um I can tell you about times, I remember one time in particular, I was on my way to work and uh, I had given myself what was normally enough time to get to work and I got stuck in traffic. And I sat there gripping the steering wheel and grinding my teeth, thinking about the fact that I'm not Going to get to work on time, and uh, I I worked at a hospital, so it was kind of a big deal that I get to work on time. Um, thinking about the possibility of having a short paycheck, nobody likes to have a short paycheck. And most directly impacting me at that particular moment was the person that I was supposed to be relieving, uh, that uh, I. I'm a person that likes to keep everybody happy and knowing that there's somebody there waiting on me to relieve them, um, I would likely be facing an unhappy, maybe angry co-worker. And I can remember just sitting in my car, just, you know, why won't these cars move and don't, you know, doesn't somebody know I'm supposed to be somewhere? I'm on a schedule here. And I just sat and fumed. And you know what? It didn't really do any good. didn't do a bit of good. Let me ask you this morning, what pushes your buttons? What lights your fuse? Maybe it's traffic, maybe it's waiting in line at the grocery store or just waiting for somebody and you feel the temperature begin to rise and your pot gets closer and closer to the boiling point until you are ready to just, uh, I don't know what it is, but most all of us have something that tends to push our buttons and send us in that direction. Now, I'm not understand. I'm I'm not advocating that this is a typical Christian response. What I'm talking about is our default mode. Okay? Most all of us have a default mode that if we let it go, that there is something that will trigger us and the temperature starts to rise. So, last week we talked to you from this very same passage about kingdom conflict and the concept that we all have a kingdom and kingdoms sometimes overlap, meaning we're in harmony with one another, and sometimes kingdoms collide and they conflict and we bump. And what happens when kingdoms collide is anger in the kingdom. Anger in the kingdom. So again, let me point your attention to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's bow our hearts for just a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we feel that we've already been in touch with you here this morning. we ask that you will be at work by your spirit and through your grace to shape us and make us more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We will thank you for what you do in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. We started along these lines last week and I already mentioned to you this idea that we all have a kingdom. I have a kingdom, you have a kingdom. It's it's that it's just your territory. It's where what you say goes. And uh, I used this illustration a, a few weeks ago. If you don't believe me uh, about this, then uh, suppose I were to come and, and sit down beside one of you ladies and uh, grab your purse and put it on my lap and just start rooting through and pulling things out and looking and examine what would you do you you would at least be wondering what is he doing and the more outspoken you are in your temperament the more likely you would be to say something uh confrontational about what i was doing why because i'm invading your kingdom so we all have a kingdom We all want peace and happiness in our kingdoms, don't we? I want peace and happiness in my kingdom. You want peace and happiness in your kingdom. But what often happens, in fact, what always happens at some point or another in our lives is we come to learn that the world does not revolve around my kingdom. And we realize that there are a lot of other little kingdoms And every once in a while, those kingdoms collide and conflict. My kingdom is about my agenda, what I want, where what I want is done. And when what I want is done in my kingdom and in my territory, then I have peace and I have happiness in my kingdom. And it's the same for you. But when what you want is not done, or something happens that you did not approve, then uh, you realize this idea that the world does not revolve around your kingdom. Therefore, our wills are often thwarted, and the typical response, the default mode response when our will is thwarted, in other words, I don't get my way, you don't get your way. The default response is anger of some kind. Now, you may not call it anger, you may call it by a nicer name, uh, but the reality is this is basically what happens. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to us about the nature of reality, as I mentioned to you perhaps a few weeks ago, you may remember that reality is what we run into when we are wrong. And uh, when your reality, your, your ideal reality in your head tells you that there should be peace and happiness in your kingdom, and in order for that to take place, you should be getting what you want, reality, you, reality will be hard on you. Because you will find out that there are often times when you do not, you cannot get what you want. Jesus talking to us about reality is that the ultimate reality is all about God's kingdom. It's all about God's kingdom. And in God's kingdom, there is nobody who is unblessable. Nobody is outside of the possibility of being blessed because of the open door into God's kingdom. Every single person that is alive now or has ever lived is an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. No matter who you are, no matter what your potential. So nobody is unblessable. And true goodness is not just External. It's not just what other people see us doing or not doing, but rather true goodness flows from a heart that is governed by love, which is a heart that always wills the good. Jesus illustrates this, these, these kingdom realities, with six statements. And they all begin with this little formula. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. And I mentioned this last week, it's important that we understand this, that what Jesus is doing here, he's not giving us a new list of rules. When we approach the Sermon on the Mount as a new list of rules, we simply end up being a new kind of Pharisee, which is what Jesus was coming against in the first place. But rather what Jesus is doing, he is illustrating what his kingdom looks like. This is what it looks like, a heart, to have a heart governed by love, a heart governed by kingdom values. In other words, we do not pursue keeping the rules as Jesus lays them out, but we pursue becoming the kind of person that would automatically do these kinds of things that Jesus is explaining and describing. He illustrates this first by talking about anger. Anger And the order of this is important. The order in which Jesus presents these is important. And I I think it's important that we understand anger being first because it's probably the number one offender of spiritual life. The number one offender of kingdom values is anger. Let me ask you to think about this for just a moment. How many problems in our lives, how many problems in our world would be solved simply by dealing with anger? You see, anger is important, and Jesus talks to us about anger first because it is a a foundational sin. It is a a foundational issue. It is out of anger... uh, that other, So many other sins grow and, and flow. And you might be thinking, when I refer to anger as sin, you might be thinking of a, a passage of Scripture. And I'll, I'll get to that in just a few moments. But think about the past. Think about the Bible stories. Cain and Abel. Jacob and Esau. Joseph and his brothers, and we could go throughout the history of the Bible into the New Testament and throughout world history, we could look at conflicts and problems and even wars that have taken place, and how many of those things could have been avoided if simply people had learned how to deal with anger. Is everybody awake? Okay, three. Of you that's good right. anger is the expression of someone whose will has been thwarted and they are essentially saying my will be done my will be done in other words what is happening to me is wrong what Circumstances or the world has brought into my life uh should should not be it should not have happened. the way this person is treating me is wrong, and um I'm not gonna have it. I'm not gonna take it and 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 we get angry. <clears throat> Let me just pause here for a moment and say. That it's true. There's a lot in the world that is not right. It's wrong. Things happen that that should not happen in this world that we live in. People treat us in ways that that we should not be treated. So please understand, um, I I have a lot of experience with having my feelings negated. And that's a bad feeling. Do you know what I'm talking about? You you feel a certain way, and somebody says, "Oh, you shouldn't feel that way." That that that's not helpful. That's not helpful. So I I'm not. That's not what I'm trying to do. Okay, I hope you understand that. I'm not trying to negate your feelings. You see, feelings just are. We things like anger and other other emotional responses, um, they are not good or bad in and of themselves there there's no morality attached to them they just are it is how we deal with those things and how we respond and how we behave in response that's that's what matters so jesus gives us here some some guidelines when he talks to us about anger what does what does it look like in the kingdom of god when there is a collision of wills when my will is thwarted but i'm alive in god's kingdom what what does that look like well he he gives us some do nots he says you've heard it said you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment now the the scribes and the pharisees were very good uh, particularly the, the the scribes were responsible for explaining the torah the law of moses and and they they wrote page after page of commentary on the on the law and how it was to be lived out and there were certain things that that you could do and that you couldn't do and that's basically what jesus is responding to you've heard it said that you shall not murder. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now I want to do a little survey here. Do any of you have a, a version or a translation of the Bible where after that it says angry without cause? you have or you've at least seen that? Yeah. Jesus says, Do not get angry with your brother, and and some versions add this phrase without cause now some translations include this but can i just tell you that it is not in the oldest manuscripts that have been found so so there is a argument to be made that that phrase should not be there that's why in the english standard version which which is a more updated translation of the scriptures tells us It just says, if you're angry with your brother, you'll be liable to judgment. That verse that I mentioned to you a moment ago when I referred to anger as sin, you you might be thinking about Ephesians 4.26, which is the verse that says, Be angry and sin not. Be angry and sin not. Well, pastor, there's some legitimacy to anger. Sure. Sure. Sure there is, at times. But can I just tell you, we must be very careful in our anger. I believe the emphasis in Ephesians 4.26, where it says, Be angry and sin not. I believe the emphasis is not on the be angry part. I think the emphasis is on the sin not heart. And what should most characterize our actions and our attitudes and our behaviors as Christians, people who are alive in the kingdom of God, is having this heart of love that consistently wills the good. And people, that is the biggest problem with anger. When anger anger rises up in our hearts, it's very difficult for us to be angry at a situation or at a person and to, at the same time, will the good. So, if you can be angry without willing harm and continue to will the good, then have at it. That is a situation or a circumstance which it is appropriate for you to be angry. And and quite honestly, I mentioned to you a few moments ago, there are conditions, there are circumstances in our world at which we should be and we can be angry and sin not. Because it involves a, a willing of the good in order to respond to that particular injustice or problem in this world that we live in. I'm just telling you it's an area which we need to be very careful because what often follows anger is malice. And that is that action of willing the bad. And as I said, m- maybe it was last week, I'd, I'd a whole lot rather have somebody want to punch me in the nose than that they actually did But I'd just as soon have everybody like me, too. Jesus says, do not get angry with your brother. He goes on to say, do not express contempt. Do not express contempt. Here's where we read that. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, that needs a little bit of explanation. The word there uh, that is used and translated as you fool is the word "racha," Raha. and it is, a, it is a guttural word, and you can't say it without making a spitting sound. It's back here, <laughs> and it doesn't sound very polite. It's that time of year, though, that a lot of us are needing to be doing that, aren't we? Um, a word that's difficult to translate, but that guttural sound, simply the way Jesus was using it, was a, a way to express contempt. Like spitting on someone. Jesus says, Don't, don't, don't do that. He goes on to say that we should not undermine the character of a person. Again, back to this this word, you fool. Um, And I, I may have gone ahead of myself. There is another word used here from the word morose, it is to call a person a moral fool. That is to make unfounded accusations about the person's moral character. Um. Most all of us have probably seen or heard this happen. When you can't win in an argument or a discussion uh, through reason or logic, the, the situation degrades to name calling. You've seen that when you were a child, perhaps on the playground. And sadly, we see it happening sometimes amongst those who hold some of the highest offices in our land. You see, friends, the reality is there's not much you can accomplish with anger that you cannot accomplish better without it. Some of us need to really get a hold of that. There's not much you can accomplish with anger that you cannot accomplish better without. Some of you will remember the name Dr. VH Lewis. Dr. Lewis was one of the general superintendents of the Church of the Nazarene and uh, I he's since gone on to heaven, but I was privileged as a young teenager to be in a revival meeting where our family was doing the singing and Dr. Lewis was doing the preaching and he told a story about being in an airport waiting area, and they were waiting to board their flight, and there was fog that had rolled in, and so they weren't able to take off, and it was just, it had stretched out and stretched out. They were waiting, 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 until finally Dr. Lewis said one of the men sitting nearby just cut loose and said, I wish this blankety-blank fog would lift so that we can get on that blanket airplane and get out of here. Dr. Lewis said, I sat there for a minute, and then I turned and looked at him and said, didn't do any good, did it? <laughs> said, in fact, I think the fog might be a little worse. There's nothing that you can accomplish with anger that you cannot accomplish better without. Jesus goes on to mention some do's. Do make reconciling broken relationships a priority over religious activities. This might be startling to some. In verse 23, Jesus says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother. In other words, don't try to worship. If you know that there's something wrong that there's a relational hindrance go be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift people i've seen this and i've experienced this so many times in my own life i remember being i believe it was a a, a small nazarene church somewhere in west virginia i think where i was with my family we were holding a revival meeting and we had there was so much tension in that congregation and in those services people you couldn't get free couldn't worship and in fact one of those services that week i remember my watching my dad he'd been praying and seeking god throughout the day trying to figure out what what message to preach and god would not give him a message to preach and the uh, most unusual thing I've ever seen, never seen anything before it or since, but he stood up in the pulpit that night. We'd, we'd sang together congregational songs, and our family had sung a special song, and he stood up in the pulpit that night and said, I don't have a message to preach to you because there's a problem in this sanctuary, in this, in this congregation, and God can't move, God can't work until whatever this relational problem is, gets resolved. And what we found out was that there were two ladies in that church who had been at odds with each other for I don't know how many years, and they would sit oftentimes in the sanctuary where people around them could hear and bicker and fuss at one another because of whatever had happened in their past sometime years ago. I can tell you about a number of times in my own experience when I have had relational friction with my wife. And I would try to go to my time of prayer and Bible reading and God would not let me get anywhere. You know, he. I know, I knew what I needed to do. I knew what needed to happen. And I would struggle and try to pray and try to read my Bible. But just can't get anywhere until I went to her to say, Honey, I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for the way I acted. I'm sorry for my... Whatever it was, would you please forgive me? Guys, there's... A, a verse in the Bible that talks about our relationships with our wives and how we need to keep that clear that our prayers be not hindered. And I have experienced it for myself. Make reconciling Broken relationships, a priority over religious activities. Make friends with your accusers. Oh, isn't this hard to do? Oh, Lord, help us. I, nobody likes to be accused, and nobody likes to, be, to feel like they've been unjustly accused. Jesus says, make friends with your accusers. In other words, initiate kindness. Kindness. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, and then let me just throw in a few of my own. And can I pause here just a moment to say I'm I'm going to do my best to let you out by noon, okay? Uh, I know we I got started late, so um, but I'm almost done. Let me just remind you that that we're not talking about a new list of laws and rules, what we're seeing here is this is what Jesus says it looks like when you have a kingdom heart that is governed by love. This is what it looks like. He's not saying specifically do this, don't do this, but he's saying people that have a kingdom heart governed by love will be doing this or will not be doing it this way. So they're, they're examples, they're illustrations. So So the question that we might deal with is how do we how do we avoid it? How do we avoid anger? How do we keep anger under control? And, and obviously, like a lot of other things, you need to learn to limit the opportunities for anger to develop. You know, if you are a recovering alcoholic, don't go into a saloon to ask for a glass of milk. It's just silly. But there are a lot of people who do similar, forgive my bluntness, but do similar stupid things. In other areas where they say they're trying to be a Christian and they want to be good, and yet they allow conditions to persist in their life that lead them into temptation. Limit the opportunities for anger to develop. How do I do that? Beware the merchants of outrage. Who are the merchants of outrage? Well, I would say in our day and in our culture, for the most part, you can find the merchants of outrage on uh, sitting at the news desks or behind their microphones on talk radio spouting their opinions about what they think is right or wrong in the world today. Now, I know I'm talking directly about or to some of you, and and some of you, quite honestly, might be able to listen to Rush Limbaugh or Sean Hannity or or uh, what's the guy at Fox News, Tucker Carlson. Um, I I could go on. Some of you might be able to listen to those guys, and and it doesn't bother you, or whoever. I don't know the names of. of I don't know really any of the names from very many of the... I mean, Rush Limbaugh's not even around anymore, is he? But he was kind of the guy that started all of this. Um, and I, I used to listen to Rush Limbaugh and at times listen to Sean Hannity. But you know what I found out sometimes about those kinds of things? They are people who like to just stir the pot... Stir the pot, stir the pot. And what ends up happening, they don't do anything to accomplish much or or influence a positive progression towards the way we need to go in our country. They just keep people mad. Keep people angry. Now, again, if you can... Listen to it, and you you say this is for me. This is a source of news that I feel is balanced, and um, I don't. I'm not sure that exists in our world today. But whatever, whatever your opinion is, if you say it's, it it feels balanced to me, and I can listen to it, and it doesn't push my emotional buttons, then great. More. More power to you. But if you can't listen to it without having it stir you up and you then people you better turn it off. Turn it off. Don't allow yourself to be in a position that allows anger to develop needlessly. And above all, beware of self-righteous pride self-righteous pride say well preacher we're on the right side and they're on the wrong side so hmm. there is a way to stand up for what's right and stand up for what's true and scriptural, I believe, without being inflammatory, without stirring up opposition against us. An old Indian proverb I heard a long time ago said, there's no point in giving a person a rose to smell after you've cut the nose off their face. And a lot of the times in our self righteous pride, we have chopped off a lot of noses and then said, Oh, could I tell you about Jesus? Could I share the good news with you? They don't want to hear what you have to say, they don't care. I don't remember who I heard say this, but it's true. You will hardly ever see a humble, angry person. You will hardly ever see a humble, angry person. So back to the traffic jam. After you have limited the opportunities for anger to develop, you will still face multiple situations when your will is thwarted. Did you see that? I don't know. When I, when I was going through these slides, and the red is just a text box. It's so that you can more clearly see the text that's coming up. But I thought, man, isn't that the way it happens? A lot of times you're sitting in traffic and everything, it turns red in front of you. Like, oh, So what do you do? Well, one thing, it helps. This is, this is what I learned sitting in Cincinnati traffic. My anger is not helping, it's harming. My anger is not helping, it's harming. In other words, it's getting me all stirred up and all agitated and irritated and upset. What do I need to do? I need to stop trying to manage circumstances that are impossible for me to control. That is essentially what's happening when our will is thwarted, we are getting angry, and what we're trying to do is trying to manage outcomes, we're trying to manage circumstances, and they're outside of our ability to control. It's impossible for us to control. So we then intentionally will the good of people that tempt us to feel or express anger we intentionally will their anger that person that just cut you off in traffic god bless them they are probably on their way responding to an emergency phone call they probably really needed that extra space that extra time it sounds funny but people this is where the rubber meets the road for the christian a lot of times this is real life And then, friends, rest in God's kingdom because he is in control. He is in control. Amen. Let's stand together, please.